and uh, we are in the week six of this eight-week series through the book of Job. How many are encouraged by the life of Job? Okay, it's depressing too, I get it. But it's an encouraging book because it gives us perspective from God's point of view. And so we're moving forward in the series. I can't believe we're getting to the end. And this morning, we're going to learn about two magnificent biblical beasts and why they are important in God's conversation with the man named Job. Our scripture comes from Job chapter 40, verse 15, all the way to 41, verse 34. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. A little longer portion of scripture today, that's okay. We're going to read it together in one voice. If you have a mask on, join me. If you're at home, join me as well. And uh, we're going to read together. Look at behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins. What power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring in their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plant it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow. The poplars by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure. Though the Jordan should surge against its mouth, can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make it a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Strength re resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. 
When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw, and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. It, uh, its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depth churn like a boiled cauldron and stirs up the sea like a, point, a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You've been teaching us through the book of Job. And today we encounter what seems almost mystical to us, things that are too deep for us to even understand. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would give us revelation, insight, and understanding. You are the creator of all things. You are the maker of heaven and earth and all that is within it. And so, Lord, we, we rest in the fact of knowing that you are our creator, God. You are our sustainer, God. And even these creatures are created by you. We do not need to fear. We do not need to be afraid because our God is in control. And so, Father, today, would you speak to our hearts? Would you teach us from Job 40 and 41? We want to hear from you. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. It was the summer of 2010. I was on staff at a church as a worship pastor in Scarborough, and our pastor had decided that we had been working so hard, it was time for us to take a day off and have a day uh, to break and bond together and join together as a staff. And so she had bought every staff member a season's pass to Canada's Wonderland. Now, to my staff, I say, don't get too excited. It was a great gift. Like, I mean, very thoughtful, very useful, especially in the summer. And while many people were thrilled that day, I was completely terrified. I absolutely hate roller coasters. The feeling of adrenaline pumping through your veins, that is the worst feeling you could ever feel, in my opinion. For me, it was one of those fight-or-flight moments. And after seeing my face drop that day, hearing me let out a big moan, my pastor said, Chris, I'm going to sit with you on the first ride we go on, and guess what? It's behemoth. If you can do this, Chris, you can do anything. And so like a great staff member, subservient to the pastor, what did I do? I went to Canada's Wonderland. And since Canada's Wonderland, the park is closed due to COVID-19, I thought it'd be really awesome to bring Canada's Wonderland to you. Are you ready? Okay, so buckle up, throw your hands up in the air, and enjoy the ride. Here we go. My goodness. Feel your heart racing. No upper body restraints. Oh, I'm getting sick already. So I'm right in front. This is real camp view, as if I were right there. 
back lots of bad memories. Uh. Are you ready? You gotta throw up your hands, okay? Here we go. Thank you. Get ready. It's happening. you enjoyed that more than I did. You see, with no upper restraints, this monstrous creature will have you clinging to the edge of your seat as it takes you 230 feet up in the air. Your anticipation will build, your heart will race while you try to take in some of the breathtaking views of the surrounding area, including that 20-acre theme park. And once you reach the peak, that adrenaline-pumping beast will send you down, speeding at 75-degree angle of descent with speeds reaching up to 125 kilometers per hour in just 3.9 seconds. I mean, this roller coaster is crazy. We sat in the front row, we buckled our seats, and I realized that I had passed the point of no return. I started praying. What do pastors do? They pray. I said, save me, Lord. <laughs> I need you, Lord. <laughs> Lord, I want to live and not die. Protect me, Lord. And everyone on the roller coaster laughed at me. But they didn't realize I was covering them in prayer, too. And 90 seconds later, that ride was over. I couldn't wait to unbuckle my seatbelt, get off that roller coaster, and stand on land again. And that was it for me. For the rest of the day, I went on nothing else. I was finished. I was done. Why did Canada's Wonderland name their roller coasters Behemoth and Leviathan? Just doesn't make sense to me. But it is because they're both to be feared and to be admired. They're like nothing we have ever seen or experienced before. They leave us with that sense of thrill and adrenaline, but also with the sense of awe and wonder. Were Behemoth and Leviathan real, or were they mythic beasts? None of us have ever seen them before. Anybody seen them before? I, I sure haven't. I haven't seen them in our lifetime. 
But this conversation is really important today because it challenges our belief in the inerrancy of God's word, in the inerrancy of the Bible. You see, this is no Loch Ness Monster, this is no Sasquatch, this is no Yeti, this is no Bigfoot. Behemoth and Leviathan were created by God. There have been three animals put forward for behemoth. The first is a hippopotamus. The world's, de- the world's deadliest land animal. The second is an elephant, the world's largest land mammal, and some type of seropod dinosaur. The, thir- the other three animals that would be put forward for Leviathan are a whale. It's a sea creature. So a whale, which is the world's largest sea mammal, a crocodile, the world's most dangerous reptile, and a serpent, the most cunning of the reptiles. Though real, both of these magnificent beasts are likely now extinct. We don't see them on a day-to-day basis. And whether Job had seen them in his lifetime or not remains unknown to us. There are too many unknowns here. There are, these are creatures we have only heard of, of which we have no real understanding. But Job 40-41 to 41 gives us God's vivid description that is meant to stir our imagination. Deuteronomy 29-29 tells us the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Perhaps behemoth. And Leviathan are the very secret things that God decided to disclose to the man named Job and to us now through Scripture. This morning, I want to highlight some of the features of Behemoth and Leviathan and then to make some concluding comments about how we can apply this text to our lives. Because all of you are sitting there wondering, how is he going to do it? One of the things we need to do in order to be good interpreters of the Word of God today is to cross-reference with other scriptures. We're going to do a lot of that, especially Job 40 and 41 with the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2. Let's look at the power of behemoth this morning. Let me read to you just a brief summary again. Job 40, 15 to 19. Look at behemoth which I made along with you and which feeds on the grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins and power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze. It limbs, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among God, the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. See, behemoth is only mentioned once in the Bible, and here it is in the book of Job. And when the scripture says, look, we are not exactly sure if Job has seen this animal or even if he has the full idea of what this animal is all about. Perhaps this land creature might have died during the time of the flood, or maybe he's seen it and it has gone extinct. All Job might know is the tradition, the story that has been told of this creature. But God is very clear. God is clear that he created behemoth at the time of creation. Genesis 1.25 outlines what God did on the sixth day. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And here's the, the catch. God saw that it was good. It was good. Behemoth was good. 
it is safe to assume that Adam, he knew this animal, that Adam likely named this animal, because in Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 to 20, we read, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. And though it seems crazy, like a crazy thought to us, at some point, even Behemoth would have submitted to Adam. That's a crazy thought. The same God that created Behemoth is the same God that has created you and me. What an awesome creator we have. What an awesome God we serve. I want to highlight a few features of Behemoth for you. The first is that this creature had the appetite of an ox. This animal could eat. It was never satisfied with its fill. It was always eating over and over and over again. Behemoth's strength was in its legs, more specifically its thighs. The sinews, those fibrous tissues, were threaded together unlike any other animal in the animal kingdom, giving it a superior strength. And though this creature ate a lot, it maintained a muscular abdomen, unlike some of us. You see, from behind, it had a long tail that swayed like a cedar. You think of the cedars of the, the tree of Lebanon. In the wind, it would sway. And at its foundation, it had very strong bone structure. It was solid, solid like brass or bronze or solid like a rod of iron. This beast could not be easily moved. This beast could not be easily defeated. And if it were evaluated among all of God's creatures, guess what? It would have won first prize. No person would willingly approach behemoth but God. But God, the maker of behemoth, would never hesitate to touch it. Even the most rare and the most wild of his creative works submit to him. That's important for us to know. That the things that seem big for us, too big or too wild or too difficult to tame in life, our God still remains in control over it. Now, there's not much that we know about Behemoth, but we know more about Leviathan. So we're going to switch gears here. The second point this morning is the pride of Leviathan. We read this in Job 41, verses 8 to 11, and also in 33 to 34. Starting in verse 8, if you lay a hand on it, that is Leviathan, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Because everything under heaven belongs to me. Great place to say amen. Verse 33, nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. Unlike Behemoth, Leviathan is mentioned six times in the Bible. This gargantuan sea creature was dangerous and destructive and untamable. Because it was an aquatic creature, it, it probably did not die during the flood. It probably remained. 
And the fact that Leviathan is spoken of more than behemoth may suggest to us that it is more probable that Leviathan outlived behemoth, that there's more knowledge about Leviathan than there is about behemoth. But God is clear. Once again, he is clear that he created Leviathan as well at the time of creation. Genesis 1, 21 outlines what God did on the fifth day. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the waters teem and that moves about in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Furthermore, we read scripture, we see Psalm 104, verse 24 to 26, classified as a nature or creation psalm. It affirms God's creation of Leviathan. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There are ships that go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. The first time Job referred to Leviathan was long before God even referenced this creature to him in conversation. This shows that Job had some pre-understanding of it beforehand, and this is not a new introduced topic of a creature. In Job 3 verse 8, it is Job who sulked. May those who curse days curse that day, the day of his birth, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. See, Job knew about it. This means there is that correlation between cursing the, cursing the things, cursing the day that he was born, and rousing this creature from the sea. I want to highlight a few features of this Leviathan to you. Verse 12 to 17 described strong limbs a double coat of armor, fearsome teeth, and a shielded back. Verse 18 to 21 described that this creature emitted flames and smoke out of its mouth. Now, all that comes to mind for us is a dragon. Verse 22 to 24 described a long neck and a rock-hard chest. Verse 25 to 30 described this creature as impenetrable by weapons and fearless of human beings. Verse 31 to 32, described that it caused the water to boil and left a huge wake behind it wherever it went. In Psalm 74, verses 12 to 14, Asaph, one of the psalmists, wrote uniquely about Leviathan. And here's what he says, but God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads, not head, heads of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. Did you catch that? So interesting. Leviathan is not a single-headed beast. He is a multi-headed sea monster. And I know this is difficult for us to comprehend. We haven't seen it, so it's very hard to believe it. We have to use our imagination. We need to read the scriptures and trust in our God, who is the creator of the universe and everything else in it. We might want to compare Leviathan with the beast of the sea that we read in Revelation 13, 1 to 10, and behemoth with the beast of the earth in Revelation 13, 11 to 18. It's possible. 
similar to the dragon depicted in Revelation 12, verse 3. The beast out of the sea in Revelation 13, 1 was depicted as having ten horns and seven heads. Is this the same creature? We don't know. While we cannot confidently draw that straight line from Genesis all the way to Job, all the way to Revelation, it's intriguing for us as students of the Word of God because God is doing marvelous things. He seems to use imagery to communicate things to us. Unlike Behemoth, Leviathan had more semblance of Satan. I'll tell you why. Consider how Satan is described the first time we encounter him in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. See, Satan manifested himself in the Garden of Eden as a land serpent, but not as a sea serpent. So we're wondering, is this serpent of Genesis the same, or is it similar to Leviathan, the sea serpent in Revelation? Well, Isaiah 27 verse 1 gives us a clue, a clarifying clue. It says, in that day, the Lord will punish with the sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword. Leviathan, the gliding serpent, okay? Leviathan, the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. You see, Leviathan is going to be killed. There's a purpose behind this. Even the Leviathans of this world belong to and under the, are under the jurisdiction and control of our God. They are not out of control. They might seem big and large and scary and fearful, but they are under God's control. And what we know for sure is that the proud and the haughty Leviathan, a creature with no equal, would be eventually destroyed, according to the prophet Isaiah. Maybe this is why Leviathan can no longer be seen. He's already been destroyed. Or if Leviathan is symbolic of Satan, then we can say that he was defeated when Jesus died on the cross and his final judgment is pending. So what do we do with all of this? How do we even apply this scripture to our lives today? There still remains a level of mystery in all of this. And like Job, we cannot fully fathom the fullness of our God. We cannot fully fathom the greatness of his creation. And Christians often feel uncomfortable about mystery found in Scripture. When you and I read something we don't understand, we struggle to believe. We struggle to have faith. Is God's word really true? Can we believe everything it says? Well, why did God create these two beasts? My honest answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Why did God permit pain and suffering? My honest answer to you is, I don't know. I heard Derek Thomas once say about pain, it's not important that you know, it's important that he knows. That's the truth of the matter here. We might never know the full story of Behemoth, and Leviathan. We might never know why we have to endure pain and suffering in this life, but I want you to tell you today that our God knows. He has a greater purpose. He has a greater plan. <clears throat> Therefore, we must learn to say, I know that you know God. I know that you know. I might not know, but I know that you know. 
This is a satisfactory answer for both our experiences of pain and suffering. So why was behemoth or leviathan or anything for that matter created? And here is the mysterious answer. It was created for God's glory. It is created to show how great and how awesome, how powerful, how majestic our God is. Why is pain and suffering permitted, my friends? The hard answer is this. It is for God's glory. If you want to press that a bit more, consider the life experience of a man named Jesus. A man who experienced the worst kind of physical pain and emotional suffering. He was son of God, but he was fully human. The son, the second person of the Trinity, endured the pain and the suffering so that God was ultimately glorified through his life. What Jesus experienced represented the wrath of God for not just one member of humanity, but for all of sinful humanity, past, present, future. And he chose to redeem us and hope that we in our free will would reciprocate by choosing him as our redeemer. And I know that we're still wrestling here with this text. We're still wrestling with whether these beasts are real or if they're mythic. But we must remember that it was God who said that he made and created behemoth and Leviathan. And though we cannot see them now or fully fathom them in our minds, he still made them just like he made us. There's a purpose behind his creation. Now, all we can do is take the descriptors we find in Job 40 and 41 and imagine with awe the creative power of God to deal with the situations in our life that seem too big and too extraordinary, too difficult for us. You see, God is bigger than we thought he was, much bigger than our wildest dreams and much bigger than our worst nightmares. This is the God we serve. And let me leave you with one final scripture as we conclude today. The worship team comes and prepares. See, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in Rome and said something so profound, so beautiful in Romans 8, 28 that has application for us today, this morning. The scripture says, and we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Do you understand what that means? God orders both the good things and he permits the bad things all for the good of all those who love him. In other words, I know you cannot see it. I know that you fully cannot understand it right now, but the bad things in your life the pain and the suffering you face, even the mystery and the confusion of it all are somewhat, somehow meant to be for our good and for his glory. The problem is that many of us have chosen to process the pain without him, to process the suffering in a life apart from him. And I believe that there's a deep healing that only God can do within you today. I don't know what you're specifically facing, I don't know what loss you're mourning today, what physical and emotional pain you are bearing, but I want you to know that God is Lord over the behemoths and the leviathans in your life that are beyond description and that are beyond your control. Our God is still in control. The question is this, will you believe him 
will you trust him? Will you bow before your maker and surrender to his sovereignty? Surrender to his lordship over your life. Because if you do, I promise you, he will work all things together for good. Why? Because he loves you. He will work it together for your good and for his glory. And how many people are here today and saying, Lord, no matter what comes my way, I know you're working it together for my good. I know you're working it together for, my, for your glory. I'm going to endure. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to press on. I'm not going to quit because you're not done with me yet. I'm going to be a living testimony of the power and the might of God. I'm not going to prematurely quit on God. I'm not going to turn to the left or to the right. I'm going to stay on that straight and narrow path, and I'm going to trust him through my circumstance because he's never failed me in the past. He's never failed me yet. I know my God is faithful. So believe it in your heart today, church family. Let's pray. Father, we trust.